Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Coming Out. I'll be joined by Malcolm Powell-Smith, who's a loving father to a son that he shares with his husband of six years. Malcolm's story is one of trial, courage and strength. We'll be talking about the process of coming out for a person in the LGBTQIA community and how the world can be shaped to make teens and young people feel safer and what it means to live fully in your truth. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Malcolm. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. How are you? Hi, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Today, we're going to be talking about coming out and the process uh, for somebody going through that and what life is like before, during and after. And you're a, you're a great person to talk to about that because you've been through it, haven't you? Oh, I've been through a lot, yes. So I want to start by asking you, what was life like before you came out? What was your childhood like? Well, I grew up in Salt Lake City. I was born and raised Mormon. And my family was always super against it from what I understood and it wasn't ever anything that I was directly confronted with as a kid like I didn't know anyone that was openly gay or out and for me it was kind of a personal exploration into finding out that journey for myself and when I was in second grade I played kissing tag with the other kids and at lunch at recess we would all chase each other around and most of the boys would chase the girls most of the girls would chase the boys when it was their turn and then I would chase the other boys in my class and I had one tormentor who would always call me out on it sorry Malcolm was just adjusting a pillow we'll get there (laughs) trying to get comfy in this metal chair so this one boy would always torment me and get others to join in and tease me and call me gay and faggot and do anything he could to ostracize me and point it out that I was different and I was chasing the other boys in class and make a big deal out of it when it was my turn to chase. How old were you when that was Seven. So, and at seven, I'm not, I'm not educated at that point, Mm. I guess is the best way to put it, as to what's going on. Mm. And with... But how does another seven-year-old know to even A, know that that's different or why is that not okay? And to know those words, you know, to, to, to say to somebody else. From looking back and being able to analyze it as an adult all I can understand is that he comes from an environment of torment where his parents are either homophobic or bigots in some right and their response to that part of their lives and that interaction is directly translated onto him and for him my guess is that he had the uh the same inclinations. I'm guessing he was gay too and he was closeted about his mm-hmm. own feelings and he didn't know how to channel that other than torment someone else that was more obvious well that's that's the underlying bullying isn't it i think that's exactly what it stemmed from and he was known as like the class bully Mm. so i tried everything i could just to avoid his torment and not get into confrontation with him and never looked back at you know what he did to me going forward so when i left elementary school i was already branded and i was expected to act a certain way and i was perceived a certain way by a lot of kids but i was also the only kid they ever knew named malcolm and mm. so that made me different and unique and interesting and I was artistic and I always demonstrated great art skills. Every art project was an example the teacher wanted to display and a lot of kids asked me for help and it was always, I was kind and I would always try to dive in and help wherever I could. So I had a lot of really close friends that really supported and protected me and gave me the chance to grow and blossom and not be stifled and bullied and picked on to the point where I shut down and I couldn't be anymore. Mm. So. 
by the time I got to junior high, we had a local junior high that was overflowing with kids. There was not enough room for all the kids coming from my elementary school. And so they gave the parents an option to ship us across the valley to the wealthier side of town. And I ended up at a really nice junior high school with a bunch of kids from my school. So I knew a lot of students, but I also made a lot of new friends who had more affluent backgrounds, more open backgrounds, and had parents who looked differently on things and supported the school and had the means to do so. And so I had a lot more opportunities open up to me. And again, I was the only kid in school named Malcolm. And so everyone knew who I was from my school. Mm -hmm. Plus all these other new kids were learning who I was pretty quickly. I was always really smart, always got good grades in every class. And I had the chance to really be, you know, myself without having torment because the kid that tormented me in elementary school went to the other local high school or junior wow. high school. So I was able to start seventh grade with a fresh slate and no problems. And yeah. from there, I never really had any sort of mistreatment during my school years, which I find myself very fortunate to escape. Yes. And at my, by the time I hit my senior year of high school, I had all these internal emotions. At 16, I'd been busted by my mom for downloading pictures from online of guys making out. Mm-hmm. And to her, that was Satan's doorway. Like I was stepping through and I was on my way to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Did I had she to, use that kind of language? She, yeah, of course. I mean, being raised Mormon, it's a mortal sin. You will never be with your family eternally. You will never get a chance to be in true heaven if you follow this lifestyle and this is who you are. It's a temptation of the devil that you have to overcome. Wow. And for me, that Almost was... Almost like, like a drug addiction or something. Right. Always ringing in my head. Mm-hmm. So it was equivalent to murder, essentially. Wow. And it required a lot of repentance. It required abstinence. And it required being celibate in order to be alive and a recognized and welcomed member of the church. Celibate from gay sex or sex at all? Well, if you are not inclined to be with a woman and your feelings are all toward men, then you are not to act on them. Mm. And you are to do everything you can to stifle them. Yeah. And it doesn't mean swinging the other way to pick up a female partner and try to live a form, you know, a formal straight lifestyle. It's more about if you're gay, to... just don't even go there. Right. Right. Like just live a celibate life. Don't hurt anyone. Don't hurt yourself. Wow. So. It's so interesting that um, the way you say that, you know, for someone who's got that mindset, well, if you're gay, just you know, okay. Oh, it's almost like they're saying, okay, I get that you're gay, but but then you just don't have sex or don't enter into relationships. So there's almost like there is this acceptance of you're gay because it's not like she was like, no, you're not gay. Of course you're not. But So there is this almost like she's accepting that you're attracted to men and that you're interested in these things, but don't act on it. Well, not at that point. She, When I was 16, she cornered me in my bedroom with a handful of these printouts that I had made and accidentally left on her computer because a friend called and said come over and I left and took off and forgot I was printing all that stuff until she got home from work to sit and play her free sale card game and then I got busted she didn't get to sit and play her game she was super mad like and cornered me in the bedroom and basically confronted me and asked me and I denied up and down up and down and what did you say like those aren't mine yeah I denied it at first and told her I don't know who printed those it's not mine and I made it a point a week later to have a girlfriend at school so I met this girl in class and she was Great. She, I think, kind of knew, but didn't ever ask me about it and never confront me about it. Our relationship was, at best, a Disney G-rated relationship, very Mormon and very, you know, Jesus was always between us. So Save room for Jesus. Right, save room for Jesus. So <laughs> we had, you know, a really cute kind of candid relationship that my mom was very apparent at, and she drove us on our first date and chaperoned and helped us get around town to do some fun things, and 
she really supported my exploration of being in a straight relationship. Mm. So, so going back to seven on the playground when you're, you know, chasing these boys and kiss chase, did, is, did you know at that moment that you were gay or did you identify it as that? I didn't understand what it was. I just knew that I was drawn toward the boys in my class rather than the girls. And the and girls it was I always a sexual saw, or <clears throat> right, attractive feeling. Always saw girls as playmates. They were always friends. They were always there mm. to support, but never to be connected to. I was never curious about their bodies. I was never curious about what that would feel like to touch them and hold them and smell them and all of that. I was more curious about the boys. And mm-hmm. so I would take every opportunity I could to stand in line next to the boys in class and try to be as close to their energy. And I was drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand at seven years old what it was. Yeah. And it took until I was maybe 14 or 15 to really understand what gay was. Mm-hmm. And then I understood mentally yeah. and I was able to start building my wall to yeah. help protect me from being exposed yeah. until I was ready. What year were you born? I was born in 1982. Okay, so you were 16, you know, so in like the 90s. I graduated in 2000. And okay. my sister, who... Did I just do terrible math there? When were you 16? I was 16 in 1996. Oh, all right. Okay, good. I'm, you were close. No, 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 no 98, 98. I'm doing terrible math. Okay. It was okay. 98. But in the 90s. So now I think a huge um, issue for parents, whether their children are gay or straight is this um, exposure to online pornography and how you, there's you go on Google, you can type in porn and it goes to the hard, most hardcore graphic stuff ever. Right. And there's a statistic that you know boys as young as nine are watching these really, really graphic hardcore videos that as adults we can accept porn for what it is, but we know that that's not really what an intimate, healthy sexual relationship is like and we can make that you know distinction in our minds. Was that sort of pornography online around when you were 16? No. And what's sad to say is that it's even younger than nine kids are getting exposed Mm -hmm. because parents are relying on these digital devices Mm -hmm. so heavily to entertain their children, Mm -hmm. but aren't taking the time to properly protect them and set up the right accesses and make sure that if a kid is in an app that they can't get back out of it and they can't do anything to that device without parental intervention. So when you were sort of coming of age, you know, 16 is a very normal, regular just age to becoming aware of your sexuality whether you are gay or straight or however you identify um so do you feel like if you were a 16 year old now your sexuality or sexual awakening or what you were learning about would would be influenced in a different way than when it oh, was in the 90s completely when i was a kid having the internet was dial up you mm-hmm. had to wait Broadband, two to three minutes that. for the phone. And no, it made that. Beep, 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 it was the phone line. When you were online, you couldn't use your telephone. I remember that. And I vehemently wanted the internet because I knew that was the source. That was where I could get some sort of exposure. Because in Salt Lake, there isn't much other than the designated adult stores, which are very branded on the outside. And anyone going inside is also branded by anyone who is considering themselves a faithful member of their religion. And it's hard to get that exploration and that education. And so I think kids nowadays are so exposed at such a young age to so much that by the time they hit their double digits, they're fully anticipating that Mm -hmm. interaction at some point in their very near future. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of kids are misled into what it means to be a Mm grown-up very young. Mm -hmm. And so they start letting their hormones take over as soon as they kick in and want to live an adult life. And... I think it's a double-edged sword. We get kids that are able to have the courage to come out at 14 now, mm-hmm. 12 even sometimes, yeah. and just recognize who they are and where they're headed in life. And 
that's very different from when I was a kid. Yeah. You, know, you weren't coming out until you were reg- ready to. And right. for me, I wasn't ready to. I graduated high school without coming out. I had a different girlfriend my by my freshman year, my sophomore year, Candace and I stopped seeing each other. And she moved on with her high school, and I didn't really stay friends with her, but we were always very nice to each other. Yeah. And then by my sophomore year, I started dating a girl from work because I was 16 now and I could start working and got two jobs and I was trying to stay busy because I didn't want to have much of a personal life to sit around and wonder what it would be like to be different and to be in a different lifestyle. So I had every opportunity to show everyone in class that I was this guy that, you know, no one had to wonder or worry about and that was my life and Mm -hmm. no one ever knew my girlfriend because she didn't go to my school. She was a grade before, you know, grade above me and Mm -hmm. she graduated and moved on to college my senior year and I was free to kind of yeah my girlfriend was in college and I don't know. it was so just kind of old, like a moot point yeah how old were you when you came out so when I was halfway through my senior year my sister god bless her is 10 years older than me and always been my champion and protector decided at some point she knew I was going to come out she's known since I was little what my situation would be and did and she, she ever bring it up to you like like if she no, she knew she, she never, never mentioned it never gave me the inclination that that's what her intentions were that's she knew my future for me until I told her mm. and it took me six months. I moved two weeks after high school to live with her and her family. And after six months, I was finally ready to tell her I met this guy mm. and she leapt up from the bed and she started jumping up and down and she said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I'm so happy for you. I'm so oh. proud of you. I can't believe it took this long. What happened? And I was just, I started crying and I just told her everything that I went through. I met this guy online I don't know what to do. We went on this great date and then he ended it by telling me, you know, he's never met anyone like me, but he's 32, I'm 19, almost, I don't know what to do. And she said, you know what? If it's not right, don't do it. Mm -hmm. If it feels right, feel it out. And I said, okay. So it doesn't feel right. I'm going to tell him. And he, we had already arranged for a second date at the end of our first one. So I said, okay, I'll meet you. And we met we had plans to go to a movie I said let's just get coffee so we went and got coffee and I sat him down and I was like look you know you ended our last day by telling me you wanted me to move in with you and your mother what and granted boundary is red flag it was not a good first experience for me right it really scared me and I didn't know what to do I was trembling and kind of shaking talking about it now but he Hmm. was very (laughs) understanding I guess for the situation do you think it was more like of a predatory thing from him that's kind of what it felt like I felt like I was kind of getting cornered at the end of our last date Mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure he knew I had the courage to stand up to him again and tell him no this is not going to happen I'm done he begged and begged and begged and begged and apologized he said you know I know it was a lot it was too soon but you know it's just something I felt in the moment and tried to sweet talk me back into considering a future with him that's an unbalanced person isn't it and I was so lost and you know so new and so unaware and unexposed that I just said okay I'm grateful that I got a chance to meet you but I am not ready for anything yeah this is new for me I haven't even come out to anyone other than my sister she's the only person on this planet that knows Mm -hmm. and I need to take time to figure that out so if I'm ready to I'll call you when I'm done right you know figuring all that out and he freaked out on me when not violent but Dramatic, very dramatic, sort of throwing his arms up in the air. Can't believe I wasted all this time talking with you and spending with you. Wasted all this time? You'd gone on one date. So I 
could tell at that moment he was severely misconceiving this whole thing. He had probably been living the hours in between us seeing each other in some weird fantasy, like he was living our future in his mind. And now it was all over for him and he just lost it. So I turned and walked away and I got in my car. He got in his car. He started following me for a little while and I got really scared, called my sister on my old, my old ass sprint cell phone and told her what was going on. I was due for a rehearsal for the musical that she was directing and he followed me all the way to the theater <laughs> and I got out of my car and I ran inside Oh. and she came out and had her hands on her hips and she, when she's mad, she doesn't show anything but anger and fierce, you know, mama lion, don't fuck with my baby. And to me, I was her oldest baby. I'd always been the one that she had taken care of since I was born. And she basically stood up to him for me and said, he said, no, you need to leave and escorted him back to his car and made sure he got back in and drove away. And she came back in and told me I was hiding in the dressing room at that point. And she told me, everything's fine. He's gone. Don't have to worry about it. And I said, he has my online information. He has my email. He has my instant messenger. He knows how to contact me. Like, I don't know what to do. And at this point, everything was still so like social media was all just getting started. Messengers didn't have blocking systems at that point. And I was just terrified of my future Mm. and what was going to happen for me if he had found out where I lived because Mm. that was just the next step, just figuring out where we lived. And I lived with her. So, you know, it's like a two for one for him if he decided to take to that level. And a few days went by, I lived on edge. I didn't know what to do. I decided at that point, like, I'm going to go back in the closet. I don't want to be out. I don't want this to be my life. I don't want to be chased down by these, you know, psychopaths who can't find anyone their own age or can't find, you know, what they're looking for without being terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I started to assume a lot of it was predatory. I didn't know what to do and had to kind of work that out for myself, but not yet. And I turned to a girlfriend that I had been befriending in the, in the show and said, I need, you know, I need some time to kind of figure things out, but I think I really like you. And she bit the hook and we started hanging out a lot and getting to know each other really closely. And everything was super G rated. We had a couple of sleepovers, but we had a wall of pillows between us in the bed. Like we never touched other than holding hands, like super G rated. And I told her, and she was Mormon and I knew the Mormon girl in class would go for it because I was a handsome Mormon boy mm-hmm. and she ate a hook, line and sinker. But then she started questioning after like three, three months yeah. where my real, you know, feelings were because nothing was progressing. It was stalemate. She didn't really feel like it. And I, t- I didn't want to, <laughs> but we ended up drinking that night and in my drunken honesty told her what had happened to me with this guy online. And she kind of was angry at first. She pushed herself back from the table and she made like all these comments about, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And then, how old are you? And then she said, I'm really sorry. I can't believe that happened to you. And I'm really scared for you. But at the same time, nothing's happened since then. So I think you're okay. How old are you? I was, I had just turned 19 at this point. So it was like just after my 19th birthday in March. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out. And I'd only been up in Washington after high school in Utah for about, uh, seven to nine months at that point somewhere mm-hmm. in there and I was like okay so I'm not only are you having to deal with like you know acclimatizing to a new place and yeah. life after high school but you're dealing with all of so this cold and wet up there but yeah it was just one of those okay I picked the right person if anything to befriend and make into a somewhat girlfriend to be able to take the next step and really open up to my honesty and who I am 
and it took all of her encouragement that I finally decided to tell my sister again, okay, no, it's true, it's for real. You know, she and I made out, there was nothing. So what I need is more support. I don't know what to do. Who do I tell? And my sister said, you don't have to tell anyone. You're not ready to. It'll happen as you're ready. You don't have to open up to everyone all at once. It's not a coming out party. It doesn't have to be, you know, you shout it from the rooftops. Now everyone knows this is what it is. And she said, as you're ready, you start small. Start with people that you know will love and support you. Call your best friends. And I said, okay. So I called my best girlfriends from high school and told both of them. And both of them were super happy. And one of them ended up coming out to me that she mm, was interested really? in girls. Isn't it and interesting when we're brave, other people get inspired to be so, brave too. Totally. And so she had a, uh, she had you know, a few moments to tell me about what she had been through with this girl in college and she didn't know if it was really her future, but she was definitely interested and she was curious and trying to be, you know, concentrated on her future and what that meant for her and her family. And she had had a boyfriend all through college, but in the meanwhile had met this girl and didn't know how to deal with it. And she decided to break up with her boyfriend to explore the relationship with her. So she, you know, a few years after me had her coming out party. So I found it interesting that three of the four best friends all were gay or bisexual that all came together as friends pretending to be straight kids in Salt Lake, you know, and I think the magnetic energy that we feel as a community that we're all drawn to each other. We have gaydar. We try to, you know, Mm -hmm. source each other out. Even if we're not really open about who we are, we try to figure it out because we want to know we have that kinship and that brotherhood and we have that family is what it really boils down to. So... After I started telling the best friends, it was more the outer circle friends that started following, and then it became more, okay, now the family needs to know, before they all hear it back from one of my friend's parents or something. Mm. So I had, my mom had a house fire, and I had to drive back down like three months after I graduated and had moved to go get my stuff, so she had been helping my sister by donating costumes to her theater and trying to get some of the old smoke damage stuff that just needed to be washed and cleaned and retreated, you know, out of her hands, out of her hair, so she could start fresh with her collection and continue her costuming career in Salt Lake. And she asked my sister, do you need more stuff? And do you think Malcolm would drive down and pick it up? And I volunteered. Okay, this is... How long is that drive? Great chance. So from Salt Lake to Seattle, it's about 12 hours, 13 or 14, How many? depending on how many times you stop and rest. And for me, I'm a straight shot guy. I'm like, I want to get as far as I can until I'm out of gas. And then I'll do the bathroom, the food, and then refill and hit the road again. And so I would make it in close to 12, 12 and a half, 13. So wow. in good weather and, you know, no mm-hmm. traffic. So and I would always pick like the middle of the night. I would drive overnight because I didn't want to be in all the traffic. So um, I boogied down there, made it. We went through the basement, got all these bins of costumes loaded into my car to the point where it was like sinking onto the tires and it was going to be too heavy to drive back without <laughs> stopping every you know two minutes for more gas so I had finished loading I was in the basement called my sister and said okay we're done I'm ready to go I'm ready to tell her and get out of here like it's been really stressful because mm. she's frantic so like, you were planning to come out to her on that I was trip. planning to come out and my sister and I have always been able to communicate about our mother as being undiagnosed bipolar schizophrenic and she has four kind of stages of her of her mania and stage one is the sky is beautiful the day is nice everything's lovely I'm having a great day and number four is the sky is falling it's the end of the world you know the apocalypse is here Mm. and 
my assistant just said, don't do it. She's in three right now. She's headed to four. Don't do it. She's really, you know, stressed out. She's getting all this stuff together for me. Like, now is not a good time to pile that on her. She's, she's not going to react the way you want. And I said, okay, okay, I can wait. I can wait. But in the meanwhile, I called dad. And she said, what, you what? I said, yeah, I called dad because I didn't want him to hear it from her. So I just called him on the phone. She's like, what did he say? What did he say? And I said, well... Dad, I have something I need to tell you, and I'm, you know, I think it's time. And he's like, okay, well, what is it? And I said, well, I'm not going on a mission. I'm not pursuing, you know, living as a, as a faithful, how do I put it? As a faithful church-going member of the Mormon church because I'm gay. And he didn't say anything, and he didn't say anything, and I was like, are you okay? How did you feel in that moment of just saying Terrified. those words? Terrified, my heart words. stopped, I couldn't breathe, and I just muttered, are you okay? And he was like, well, I'm sitting down. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I could have warned you. And he was like, well, listen, you're my son and I love you. And I just want you kids to be happy. That's all I've ever wanted for you. Mm. And as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else and you're happy, I'm happy. Wow. Did you take that as a positive reaction? Positive. And I was terrified. He's from England. His mother was devout British. We had tea at four o'clock every time we were with her. And it was always very improper to speak of sexuality and things of such nature in front of her. Right. One. And her personal beliefs were that gay people were sinners and Mm. bound to go to hell. And she didn't, he didn't want that for me from her. He didn't want her to look at me in that light. So did he say, don't tell her? So he warned me, just don't tell your grandmother and leave it at that. But I love you. Mm. And I said, okay. Thanks, I love you too. And I hung up because I was stunned. I didn't know how to feel, how Did to you talk think... to him at that moment. And I just said, "Yeah, okay, I love you too. Did and you I think heard. he was going to have a different reaction than he did? I was expecting him to borderline disown me. Really? If not, I can't, you know, just be mad. Because had he made comments growing up about homosexuality to well, make you afraid? Growing up, he wasn't around. I mm. was four years old when my parents split. I had a younger brother who was three and an older brother who was six. And all I remember of the episode was a lot of fighting between my parents and then he was gone. Mm. And from my sister, who was 10 years older, she was able at 14 to really understand the situation because my dad took her to tennis and said, I feel like if I don't leave, I'm going to hurt your mother. And she at 14 said, well, we need both of you around, so maybe you should go. Wow. And... She could sense it was coming. They fought all the time. They disagreed about everything, about where to, you know, finish, how to finish the house, what to do. In rebellion, my mom, like, my dad was in the National Guard and was gone for two weeks at a time every year. And he was gone on his two-week leave, and in that time, she painted the house purple and to end a fight with him over how what color to paint the house. And he wanted it one way, she wanted another, and it became, like, a week or two long battle over what color to paint the house. And it was them not really communicating about their feelings, about the real issues that were going on in the household, and it was over that. Mm. So he came back to a purple house, and we were the, oh, we were the family with the purple house in the neighborhood. Oh, wait, on the outside or the inside? On the outside. Oh, so gosh. it was two-tone purple, and over time, all the red paint faded out into more of like a periwinkle blue house, so it was still unique to the rest of the neighborhood, and it was just the way that they communicated and the way they dealt with their issues, and he had ultimately left. And I don't blame him knowing how she is and how she can swing. She's bipolar. She can swing from being happy and everything's fine to, yeah, the world's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't like to talk about their depression and about their issues with 
mania and how to deal and how to get the help that they need and she's one of them she and now just doesn't want to acknowledge it 33 years older than me pushing 70 is not interested right in dealing with it and putting medication into her body to help her control the mood swings because she doesn't want to feel different yeah she's set in the way she is so how did you end up actually coming out to your mom so i ended up saying goodbye to her, packing up my car, heading back to Washington with all the costumes. And a few months later, she ended up taking a trip up to see us. And she was staying for a week and I was put out of my bedroom so she had a place to sleep and also assigned to take her back to the airport for her flight home, which is a 45 minute drive from my sister's house out in the sticks and trying to fill that time with having waited because I didn't want to ruin her trip if things didn't go well Mm. and deal with it the whole time she was there waited until the very end so that I could get it out without having to deal with a ton of backlash at least face to face because she would know she had to get on her flight she would have to swallow her feelings and deal with it and get home and process it in her own time Mm. but for insurance I told my sister I need to take your son with me who was 12 at the time and he already knew Uncle Malcolm was gay he liked boys it didn't matter to him he was totally fine everything's great and you know kids perception love is love so he jumped in the back seat and we took him with us and we got most of the way to the airport we were there like 10 minutes ago and i just said mom there's something i've wanted to talk to you about for a really long time i was going to bring it up when i was down there but tanya told me not to and now is the time i can't i can't hold it back anymore and she said why what's going on and i said well the reason i'm not going to the church anymore i'm not going to go on a mission and i'm you know living as far away from Utah as I can get is that I'm gay and she turned to the window of the car and didn't say anything for a second and then I could see her kind of shoulders like sobbing and really and I said are you okay and she drew a big you know big kind of shaky in breath and said I'm okay but I'm not okay and I said okay why are you okay she said you're my son I still love you you know it doesn't change the fact that I love you and I'm not okay because I feel like this is the great battle we've been preparing for and I driving the car turned to look at her stopped watching the road and looked at right at her in her eyes and said are you kidding me yeah I was like mom I was seven years old chasing boys in class playing kissing tag at recess I'm following an instinct I'm I'm just doing what my body tells me to I am drawn to the same gender, not the opposite gender. So did the fear of telling her suddenly turn into... It turned into a defense mechanism. Right. I well, had to... anger that you had to now She didn't defend. yell, and I knew Grandma would keep it together for her grandson in the backseat, which was the whole reason he was there, just wide-eyed and watching it unfold. And she, you know, glanced at him one time during the conversation, and he just kind of shrugged at her. And she focused back on me, and she just said, you know, we've been dealing this since you were young. I knew the pictures were yours. I knew it was you that were struggling with it and I've been trying to help you and I was so excited when you had your first girlfriend and I've really been trying to guide you back to, you know, what's right. And I, at that point, was almost to the airport entrance to the parking area and made the decision not to pull into the terminal to park and decided to pull into baggage lane drop-off area. I was not interested in walking all the way through the airport with her and this hovering over us now. Yeah. So at the curb, I just told her, well, I am who I am and I'm going to be careful and I will do everything I can to live a full and happy life. 
and got her bag out of the trunk of the car and threw my nephew in the front seat and said, have a safe flight home. Then I gave her a big hug and I kissed her on the cheek and pushed her into the airport <laughs> and wow. drove away. And how was your relationship, you know, immediately after that, you know, in, in the next, so, you know, period of time? It took her a few months. She really? didn't really want to talk to me. Didn't really, you know. Didn't want to talk to you at all or talk, didn't want to talk to you about it? She never really talked directly to me. She would wow. call my sister and she would, you know, ask how I was doing, but would never really pry into And that it. was different from the way it was yeah. before she did talk to you yeah. a lot. She would ask a lot of questions. How so was it was work? very how's, obvious. Yeah, how's this? How's that? And she, once she knew, once it was final, once it would, you know, had been out on the table, mm. um, I think it took her personal time to get to a point where, well, you know, I told him I love him. So I should try to work on whatever relationship I can have with him while I can have it. Because mm-hmm. I think to her, she was losing me eternally, not just in, you know, mm-hmm. a family sense on the planet. She was going to lose me in the future and yeah. the afterlife. And it, what's so. so fascinating to me, and, and this, you know, what I'm about to say transcends to religion, politics, you know, whatever it is, yeah. that people really think they're right. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my beliefs about, you know, whatever subject it is and just how I feel that I am truly truly right and anybody who thinks opposite of me I think okay well obviously they're wrong that doesn't mean I have to engage in like a, a violent conversation with them but but they're just there's the same on the other side of the table people who think differently than me think that they are completely right and I am completely wrong like I do have the feeling that everybody generally is trying their best and and does what they think is right you know um but it's just so fascinating to me how somebody can just really be con- convinced, you know, right. of something like that. Yeah. Well, and for her, her cornerstone is the church and mm. the principles and the teachings of the church and all of the things that they stand for truly resound in her. And mm. she really lives an exemplary lifestyle for a member of the church. So to fast forward a little bit it took her a little while to kind of come around and then it was kind of okay as long as she didn't really have to face it we never really talked about it anymore Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that she wanted to entertain our time together about so it was just never a subject we really broached and then I met this guy up there that I thought I loved who had a lot of fun toys and a lot of fancy things and we spent a lot of fun time together but when it came down to relationship stuff he was not interested and after a certain amount of time I started feeling more like another one of his toys his accessories mm-hmm. and things in his life that he got to enjoy whenever he felt like it right. and I told him how I was feeling mm-hmm. and he said oh my god I'm so sorry I can't believe you've been feeling this way let's you know let's try to figure this out and I said no I think I'm done like mm. I don't want to be around this anymore so I'm going to take a break and how old were you at this point at this point I'm like 23 going on 24 okay and I said okay I'm and I'd been through a lot. I'd dated a lot of guys in Seattle. I'd, you know, try to really figure out who I am, what kind of guys that I liked, and always with information to friends, especially that I lived with or that I knew very closely. At first it was my sister because I was living with her. And every time I had a date, I would be responsible and tell her who I was going with, what his name and phone number were, and where we were going. Because if I ended up missing at this point, you know, I'm meeting... And the only way for me to meet guys out in the sticks was on the websites. Right. So, and gay.com was a big site last time, back when I was a kid back when I was starting my journey and that was you know the com- most common place to chat and meet people but then catfishing wasn't really called catfishing and we didn't really know what it was but it was happening mm-hmm. and I would meet up with these guys that were not the person in the picture they sent to me really? or not present themselves in the way that we would chat online how would you navigate that and it became a you just have to say no you have to walk away you have to recognize the situation and I 
I relate it to like having a spidey sense. Like you can mm. kind of just tell there's a bad energy around this person. There's a bad vibe coming off this person, whatever you want to call it. And that's there. Yeah. And you can feel it. You can get out. You don't stay. So and when hope it, it gets better. Yeah. Because it doesn't. When it comes to actually having sex and having sexual encounters, I mean, I'm not really sure how it is now because I haven't been in school in a long time, but straight sexual education is not really that informative to begin with. How did you encounter having to navigate sex within the the gay community with not really having your mother have having taught you or information anyone, available yeah, not like anyone taught me um it became a school of hard knocks you was it quite learn a through scary education experience. and experience at first because you feel so vulnerable there's no way to you know express how you're feeling in the moment when you're with someone who is experienced and they can see how inexperienced you are mm. And it takes a little bit of luck and it takes that time with yeah. someone to really develop the communication to the point where they can understand how you're feeling and what's going on. Well, I think that's the way yeah. between um, two people in a straight encounter it is that just like, oh, you know, the emotional side of it. I think no matter what your orientation is, when you encounter yeah. a sexual experience with another person, you, you do have to figure out, okay, where's the boundaries? Who, who you know, what's going on? Right. Who are you? That kind of thing. But I'm talking about like the actual mechanics or, or talking about safe sex or, you know, all of those things, you know, did you really have to figure those things out on your own? Oh yeah. And it's, for me, it was when I first came out after Alan scared me back in the closet, we'll just throw his name out there. He put such a fear in me of being careful and being, you know, thorough mm -hmm. was a big part. And so for me... Was he your first sexual encounter? He, not, we never actually fully saw each other naked. We never touched each other outside of a little bit of rubbing when we were making out. And for me, because I had never done it with anyone, mm -hmm. and making out was only with two girls before that. Like, I told him, I was like, this is kind of like my first guy kiss, and this is mm -hmm. a big deal for me, so I need to take this really slow. And he fortunately respected that for me. And yeah. I know it's not the same for everyone. People are forced into situations that they either can't escape or are enabled, you know, yeah. they're just par paralyzed by fear or paralyzed by circumstances. So I feel really fear fortunate. of what if, you yeah. know. And retaliation and all of the things that can run through a person's mind in a situation, you know, in a dangerous situation like that. So I feel really fortunate, but after that it was, okay, if a person isn't willing to take things slow with me and learn mm -hmm. along with me, then it's not worth my time. So Do you... if I ever felt pressured, I would back out and I would stop seeing that person. Yeah. So as a father now, would you, oh, sorry, I just hit the microphone. Um, as a father now, would you be happy to see when your son goes to school, when it comes to sex education, incorporating talking about gay sex and, and sex between people that aren't just the standard cis male and cis female? I think we're going to see a revolution in sexual education because mm -hmm. I think now with acceptance being on the table and, you know, gay marriage and equality, quality across the table we're going to have to educate our entire population mm -hmm. not just children I think it's wouldn't that be amazing to see, to, to see a sexual education program where we talk first of all even just acknowledge that there you know are people who identify outside of the two genders that society say there is and what sex would be like for an intersex person or what a relationship could be like for somebody who identifies as asexual or you know sex for lesbians or sex for gay men like 
that is not talked about in school. Not only is it not talked about in school, but families don't talk about it. So for these people who identify as something other than just heterosexual, where is their education and support coming from? Right, well, and I think with exposure, we have kids that are able to find these videos online on their own. Mm. You know, they are already... But then they become damaging because, as we said earlier, you know, 98, 99% of pornography is not showing a sexual encounter between two people that respect each other, may or may not love each other, but at least have that respect where they are being conscious about being safe, um, being careful of the other person's emotion, other person's body where it's satisfying and pleasurable for both people. Like, I just think it's such, um, a sadness of our time, you know, with the internet that that's, that's become what people are getting their sexual education through is, is these hardcore pornography videos that right. don't show anything Other about what a real sexual right. loving encounter yeah. is like. It's their mechanics videos, basically. It's people going to work is right. what it is, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and I think with the exposure that children are getting nowadays to, you know, these things on their own personal time and their own personal devices are going to be able to translate into a better education program through the schools and mm. through our private educators that can help them yeah. to understand the difference between what this type of video yeah. is and what this relationship is. It would take a real revolutionized, empowered person to implement and teach a program like that. Right. And and Lord knows it would take a long time, but that would right. be, I would love to see that in my lifetime. Well, and a lot of perceptions have to change because yeah. a lot of predatory perceptions are placed on our community. Yeah. And until we can have educators in place who can answer those questions mm. burning in those kids' minds. Yeah. You know, we need to have someone or a board of people who come and teach a sex education class. Absolutely. And you have a person representing every type. Yeah. So I think it will take a revolutionary program at mm. a very prestigious school to really get things going yeah. and support behind And if it's going to happen anywhere, California is the place to It'll do be it. either California or New York. Yeah. Because New York is also a stronghold for yeah. our community. and. Even San Francisco, even like there are so many communities out there, especially in the United States, that can band together and develop it. But yeah, how funny would it be if it's a third world country that right. comes to it first and has the first sex education program where mm-hmm. these children are no longer raping their community members and are no longer you know out commuting crimes because they have more education and they're armed with better information yeah. about who they are and their future. Yeah, it's interesting how you said you know if it would be a board of people that would come in, you know that would represent you know. Um, different types of people because I think that goes back in saying how important um, representation is and can you imagine a young child who knows that they're not what society is saying the norm but they don't have an education to maybe put a label on it to say okay this is what I am or this is how I identify but can you imagine the power in having somebody an adult stand up and go this is how I identify and it just happens to be, you know, the same as that seven-year-old kid sitting in the, you know, the assembly listening and this is what my life is like, this is how I have a healthy sexual relationship and for that child to go, wow, number one, there's somebody who is a grown-up that is like me Mm -hmm. and that they can learn from and that their world is not doomed, that they're, they're an example of somebody living a healthy, happy life. I just think in terms of making kids feel safer and teens to feel like they don't have to wait until they're you know a full-grown adult and moved away from their parents and don't have to rely on them anymore to feel safe enough to come out that how different our world would be and how 
there would probably be so much less hate and right. less fear. I just think that would be incredible. Yeah. Well, and I feel like we're fortunate to live in California where we have a better support community and we have more tolerance and we have we have our fair share of problems still. And everywhere in the world, there are still problems. And yeah. Those problems are not going to go away on their own. They will take active people to change and make those problems disappear. Yeah. And to spread tolerance and to spread equality and to really spread the love. And that's really all it is. Yeah. So, where I'm hoping through having my own child and intentions when the next one comes along, because we plan to have more, that I will be able to transition from a full-time employment situation into a full-time support situation. Mm-hmm. And I really want my child, especially, to see his dad present at preschool and helping with the class and the other kids who know Preston has two dads, his dad's cool, he's there, he's normal, he's helping, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, starting young, where they're sponges and they're yeah. still just absorbing what's okay with the world so when it comes to educating your son yeah when it comes to educating your son about sex how do you think you'll approach that well not just sex like the mechanics of it but sexuality and and that sort of awakening that he will inevitably come to what however he identifies how do you think you'll approach that well we've already begun with primary of course we you know try to speak about mommies and daddies and daddies and daddies and mommies and mommies and fortunately we're in a time now where there are lots of books and there are lots of things you can pick up at a store that will help and will help you teach in a fundamental way and a very simple and easy to understand way and so he's really starting to grasp he has two dads and Mm -hmm. the mom thing is still kind of a mystery for him but with his strong nanny figure in his life he has a maternal figure that he can explore and relate to Mm -hmm. and try to work through those feelings and the nurturing that he gets from us is directly you know reflected in how he's approaching his world which is with lots of joy and with lots of love and lots of excitement and he's you know been a blessing in our life and we can't wait for him to have a brother so we can do it all again and we can really show him how to be a good brother and really what it means to be in a bigger family and how to share and support and take his emotion and learning to the next level and really demonstrating this is some, not only in our house this is what we do but this is what we do in our neighborhood this is what we do in our city this is what we do in our country this is mm-hmm. what we do in the world and really grow it from there yeah. and talk more about the big picture with him and try to keep it everything's normal mm-hmm. like nothing's different uh, you have two people that love you and are raising you and caring for you mm-hmm. and because we love each other you know he still gets jealous like if I'm kissing Rob he wants to get in there and know my daddy or my dad dad and it just depends on which one he's more attached to at the moment but that attachment is there and we can see it and we can feel it and we know that he's turning out normal yeah do you feel like for Preston who has two dads a maternal energy whether you know obviously he doesn't have a mother um, but how, how, how important do you think having maternal energy present in his life is well I think it's good for balance Mm -hmm. he gets a lot of time with his auntie he gets a lot of time with my sister um mostly through digital with facetime because she lives so far away but she makes it a point to be mm-hmm. in his life and be a strong female role model yeah for him. he does have i mean i know preston he has a lot of a lot of maternal energy in his life you know you guys are lucky that you really got along with your surrogate yeah, and surrogate you know, she, so she teaches him swim lessons yeah every it's really that. lovely to see that balance yeah. between you guys and i mean as somebody who knows you and your family, um, I can vouch that Preston is no different than any other two-year-old I've ever met who happened to have straight parents. Like he, you know, there's there's absolutely no effect on his development or personality or well-being because he has two dads. Yeah, the you only know? thing he just never cries mama. 
Right? That's the only difference. Never forget mama, mommy, mama. Yeah. So, daddy or dada. <laughs> exactly. Back to you and your journey. How did you end up getting from Seattle down to where you live now in LA? So my ex that had all the toys and was treating me like another accessory in his life, after a few months of being separated, we ran into each other at a bar and he saw me. He immediately started crying. He said he was so sorry. He still felt so sorry and he really wanted another chance. And at that point, I didn't really have much going on and I said, you know what? We can try again, but things have to be different. I have to be treated different. I have to be respected as a partner and less of just a, hey, I'm your your fuck trophy. And this is what you get to go home to every night. And you taunt me around town and all over on business trips to be that arm candy for you. Like, I'm more than that. I want, you know, different things for my own life. And if you're not willing to support me through those, then hit the road, Jack. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. So he heard me. He really tried for another three months to really be different and work on our relationship and how he perceived what we had. Mm -hmm. And things slowly started to slip back into summertime again. We're going to play in the water some more. We're going to do more activities than relationship building. Mm -hmm. And it became apparent again that I was kind of just another show off thing again. He was out at the bars during the summer, hanging out with all the boys and really just showing off that he had a nice good-looking boyfriend and really wanted to be, you know, recognized for that. That's the second time you've said about yourself that you're good-looking. You really think a lot of yourself, don't you, Malcolm? (laughs) (laughs) If everyone could have seen the face you just made. Um, So, well, you have to have self-love if you can spread love. No, of course, I'm just filling your chain. I've always been grateful Mm -hmm. that I have a disposition that is more attractive than less. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but he... But I'm hot. He ended up getting a... Thank you. He ended up getting (laughs) a really, really bad deal at work. He took it out on me in a verbal situation, and I basically just laid it out for him. I was like, look, we're back to the same song and dance. I'm done with this bullshit. This is retarded. I need to get out. Excuse me. That's not very PC. But I really let him have it. And he finally, I guess, let out all the feelings he was feeling. He yelled at me. He said he can't believe he spent all this money on me this whole time. I'm a gold digger. He started all of this drama. Wow. And in an effort to just alleviate myself of the situation, I left. And I had a ton of stuff at his house. It was spread all over. And didn't take any time to collect anything. I just left. And, and this is in LA? This is up in Seattle still. Oh, okay. And he had just moved into this big new house. And like we spent a lot of time like getting the house. And that was, I think, a lot of his frustration as well. Not to make excuses for him and his behavior. But... There was a lot going on and I can understand why he blew up, but I just don't think he handled it well enough for me to be tolerant at 24 to put up with it and mm. you know deal with it anymore. So I was complaining to my ex-girlfriend slash hag, Annalise, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm so fed up with him. I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like everywhere I go in this town, I'm going to run into him. Like, what do I do? Like, what, what is, what is my option? And she said, well, I've always wanted to go to LA and go to Fiddle. So which is the Fashion Institute for Design and Merchandising, for those of you out there that don't know. But it was a dream of hers to come down here and study fashion and be here. And she had just had a baby girl. And Dad wasn't in the picture, so she was a single mom on her own. And I said, well, you have a baby. You want to go down there. You don't know anyone. I was like, I've already got friends and family down in Southern California. Why don't, why don't I go there first? And then when I've got an apartment, I've got some sort of ground for you and the baby to land on, 
you come down. Wow. I'll see what I can do to get most of our stuff there with me so that I can set it up for you. And she... That's very nice of you. We went through a lot together and I wouldn't offer it up for just anybody. So I, after, I guess it was about only about six or maybe eight weeks, two months, went back to Dave and said, look, I am done with us, Mm -hmm. but... I have promised Annalise I'm going to help her get to Los Angeles to go to FITM so she can continue her education. She needs support. She has a baby. She can't go there alone. I've got friends and family already, but I need to get there. I don't have any money saved up. I need your help. And at this point, we'd been through so much, I felt like I had the balls enough to just tell him I needed the money. So he said, interesting. Okay. What do you have in mind? And I was like, well, I need a rental truck. I need storage to collect everything into to make it easy to load into a truck the day we rent it and get out of here and I need a place to stay when I get there because I have to find a place to live so Mm -hmm. unless you want to help me find a permanent apartment like I need a a crash pad so he called his buddy Tyler who's an agent down here and said I have an ex-boyfriend who wants to come move to LA he needs help can you put him up when he gets there and he said yes so he said great your place is set what else do you need and I was like Wow, this is going really well. Okay. I'm Better gonna, than I expected. I'm going to push my luck a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, I am going to have to quit my job at some point so I can help her get ready. So I'm just going to need like cash. And he was like, how much cash are we talking? And I said, well, I don't need like a chunk. Like I just need, you know, like a couple hundred a week to help make sure I can eat and put gas in my car and get back and forth and help her pack because she's out in the sticks mm. where I used to live with her mom. Do you feel like so he owed you? I felt like he owed me mm. because of the way he had been treating me the whole time, even though he had been treating me to dinners and, you know, paying for things here and there. It was the emotional treatment. It was the mistreatment and the neglect Mm. that I was really throwing on the table for him to make him feel like he should reimburse me somehow by helping me move to LA. Ballsy. You got to play your cards when you got them. So I, looking back, probably should have taken a breather and just said, no, I'm not going to go to LA. Like, good luck, Annalise. (laughs) But I did it. So he... At the end of our conversation, I kind of felt like I had everything I needed lined up, and he said, okay, now it's my turn. And I was like, oh, what do you mean, big and doe-eyed? Like, you want something in return? And he's like, well, if I'm going to help you, I need you around. Like, I can't just trust that you're out there doing stuff and getting it done. Oh, and one of the other big things was is I needed a car, because the car I had bought first when I moved up there killed the transmission towing a U-Haul back from Utah with a towed on the back. Second car got repossessed because my roommate was spending all of her rent money on clothes from the store she worked at. So we had to separate and I had to start over and I lost my car in the process. So I moved to downtown where I could get around and not have to worry about having wheels. And so I said, I need a car so I can get around. That was the big thing. So I think that's where he felt like, okay, now we're over the board and I get to ask for stuff in return. He said, if you're going to be driving one of my cars and you're going to be all over town, like I need you to come back somewhere. So you're going to move out of your apartment and you're going to move into my house. And I said, what? <laughs> so wait, and why Why would you want to do that if you were trying to get to LA? Hold on, hold on. So oh, there's he said, more, there's more. He said, because you are going to move back into my house, you are going to be my boyfriend until you leave. And I was like... That's quite manipulative. And I said, okay, I don't feel like I get a say in the matter. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're telling me and you're not asking me. And he's like, I don't think I have to ask you. He's like, you asked for a lot. That's a lot for me to take on to help you get down there. And for me, what I want in return is for you to just come back for a little bit longer. 
He's like, you're going to be out of here by Thanksgiving. You're going to be on your way to L.A. And then you'll never have to see me again. He's like, I'm not moving to L.A. I'm staying here. I love my life here. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, okay, so the feelings are done then. And he's like, (laughs) I will always care for you. He's like, you were one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I hold every person that I ever date in regard to you and whether or not they measure up. Wow. And I said, oh. And so at that point, I felt like, okay, you know, I'll be your boyfriend again for three months. That's fine. Everyone's used to us being on and off again anyway. It's not going to make a big deal to anyone. And we don't have to tell them what's going on. And he's like, well, I'm going to tell a couple people, my best friends. I was like, if you feel you must. All of my best friends know what's happening because my best friend is going to be moving with me. Mm-hmm. So he uh, agreed to let me use his truck. He had a big old Chevy and he let me drive that all over Seattle. And he said, you can move in uh, this weekend, but you need to tell your roommate you're moving out. Who was also the one after my last breakup with him who showed up with me to collect my things and be my bodyguard to make sure nothing went crazy. Oh, wow. So, because we weren't sure after his blow up how, how things gonna were going to go. And I said, I'm just not sure. Do you mm. mind coming with me? And he's like, absolutely. And he was the most great acting gay man I've ever met. So he, <laughs> he still is. I mean, he still lives up there too. But he... Um, he had me move in a week later, and I had three months living in his house with him and tolerating whatever, you know, boyfriendy things he wanted to do, and a lot of it included sex, which for him and me, it was fine. I was familiar with it. I was used to it. I didn't feel like he was forcing me to do anything I wasn't comfortable with or used to, so it was a good way to kind of end our relationship on a, like, this is the deadline of this relationship, so, and it just gave me the finality to know, okay, this is the end of my chapter in Seattle, and I'm out, so... Thanksgiving week rolled around, we got a U-Haul, we emptied my storage unit with my stuff and hers, and we loaded up and drove to L.A. Wow. And he was here with me for uh, like three, four nights mm-hmm. at the hotel, and then he left, and I moved all my stuff to Tyler's house that I didn't put into storage, and lived with him for a month until he told me the landlord was selling his house. Wow. So... <laughs> so now, all these years later... Yeah. You know, you're married, you have a baby, you have another baby on the way. Yeah. How different do you feel your life is now compared to when your journey started? It's leaps and bounds. A lot of dreams have come true. A lot of dreams have been broken. And a lot of heartbreak has been felt over the years. And losing my first partner to lung cancer was probably the biggest and the mm-hmm. most eye-opening you, thing This is for your me second marriage, isn't it? It's my second marriage to Rob. So he has been able to mend me and fix me in ways that I didn't think I was ever going to be able to again. Mm. And to have a child with him and watch him be a father has reaffirmed for me, despite all the crazy things he does and the things that make me want to throttle him once in a while, (laughs) are, you know, quickly swallowed up when I see how much my son loves him Mm -hmm. and how excited I get about our future and bringing another baby in and one for each of us to divide and conquer at least you know and he's ready for the next one he's anxious for the next one which is exciting because I wasn't ever really sure when it was coming out that I would ever find someone wanting to have a family Mm. because as far as I knew the gay community was never monogamous it was never you know committed and it was never like I didn't know anyone that had been together longer than a few years well you guys are such a testament to the fact that that's such a misconception I think a lot of people think that um, all gay men are you know running around town and being crazy and swinging from the chandeliers and that's just not true you know you guys are um living this life with your family that you know apart from as you said that your son says dada and daddy instead of mama it's no different than any other family 
how would you advise a parent in today's time who has a child that they might suspect is gay and they're struggling to come out? How how would you advise them that they could best support their child? Lead by example. Mm-hmm. Don't say derogatory things about people in the gay community or any of our community. We have so many diverse members in our world's our global society mm-hmm. that it's not right to pick on any one of them. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is leading by example, showing your children kindness and love and salt and tolerance and support. And it doesn't mean drag them to pride parade and put them on your shoulders and pray mm-hmm. that no one in a thong speedo is going to run by, but <laughs> do what you can to show that you're tolerant and mm-hmm. that you support and yeah. that you love just anyone as they are. Yeah. And that I think is going to do wonders for children. Do you think that if, if you're a parent and you suspect that your child is gay, do you think it's better to bring it up or, or just to create a, a, safe in, uh, a safe environment where that child feels that they could then come to the parent? I think both, actually. Mm-hmm. Bringing it up not in an accusatory way or I know you are kind of way is probably better handled by talking about people you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, your uncle and his boyfriend or your you know auntie and her girlfriend. Making it known that you're okay with it. Broaching the subject that you know about it and Mm -hmm. you're okay with people Mm -hmm. having feelings for the person of the same gender. Like, Mm -hmm. that's really all it is. When they know you're okay with it and you're secure with it, I think it will be much easier to have a conversation about it and your child will stay closer. Like, my mother and I have an estranged relationship at best because she took the time to distance and separate herself from me when I came out Mm -hmm. and then place a block between us as I was exploring who I was. I met my first partner. We were together for five years. And after he died, she asked me what he did for a living. And that showed to me she really was not interested in who he was, what he did for my life, how he changed me and helped me to grow up. None of that was a matter to her Mm -hmm. because I was gay. And I think once I told her, my own mother can't even help me through this loss and this grief right now. I need to go. I can't talk to you. And I hung up on her. And I think that was probably words she never wanted to hear come out of my mouth. She mm. never wanted to feel like that distance between us, at least not verbalized, you know? Yeah. So we've had a lot of physical distance between us for a long time. So I think the verbal distance was really what yeah. made her understand and made her think a little differently. And now she really tries to put time and effort into having a relationship with me and Rob and Preston mm-hmm. because for her, she has another grandson she yeah. gets to enjoy and she gets to love and cherish and gets to be a grandma all over again. Yeah. And granted, she's been a grandma since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. But for her, you know, to continue to keep watching all of us grow up and have children is... I was the last of her five children to have a kid. Yeah, so it's special. It's, you know, he's not going to be the last child. And I'm sure there will be more. She even has a great grandkid now. Yeah. So it's... I think for her, she's seeing a bigger picture about the family and about the love and the support and just including all mm-hmm. of us. Because, you know, even if this is all the time we get, because we will be sorted into kingdoms of glory at the end, you know, she will have this time with us. Yeah. And eternally can look back on this. And if yeah. I'm no longer able to be with her in the afterlife, then so be it. And we had our time. Yeah. So I, I think, think it's, that it's so important for parents, you know, if, if anyone who's listening to this you know, is in that situation of suspecting maybe it is their child or somebody that you know and you think that they might be struggling with this issue. I think it's so important, as you said, to lead by example. Um, but to just remember that this is such a monumental time and just like you said, that if you mess it up by being 
uneducated or ignorant that is going to have a lasting impact and it is your responsibility as as the support role to make sure that the person in question has a safe loving environment to to come out when it is their choice you know I don't outing people is just awful um so I think that's a really important lesson for everybody to remember that you know yes there's a a gay community or an LGBTQIA is it AI IA community that you know exists but yet there is one human race and we all need to love and support each other and we've got to make that safe space for people to live their truth right you know yeah, love is love you that's true love. well we've come to the end of our hour that's it really didn't it go really so fast? fast? Everybody says that. They're like, so oh. well, I think we could just talk for forever and ever. Thank you for coming on the show. That was just an incredible conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. And tune in next week for a very special episode. Bye.